What's good, everybody? Welcome back here to the Solid Ground Podcast. This is episode nine. My name is Lucas, and I'm here with my boy, Skylar Farley, and I'm going to let him tell y'all what we're going to be getting into in today's episode. So today we'll be jumping into the second half of Romans chapter seven, and then getting into the first little bit of Romans chapter eight. Super excited, Romans eight, one of my absolute favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, So get ready to jump in with us, and thank you so much for joining us today. All right, so here we are, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 7, and it says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. All right, so we got to jog our memory a little bit, I think, here to Mm -hmm. start. Um, Because he starts with this question saying, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Um, And he asks that because he comes off the heels of this example that he gave in marriage, right? If you guys remember, if you listened to the last episode, we talked through how as believers, um, we have been set free or delivered from the bondage of sin in our lives as we've been unified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So we're brought into a newness of life and he gave this illustration of that occurring um in marriage right so if we go back chapter 7 verse 2 it says a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives but if her husband dies she is released from the law regarding the husband he says therefore my brothers and sisters in verse 4 you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of christ so that you may belong to another you belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God, right? So mm. Paul is going ahead and getting ahead of anyone who might criticize him. And he says, ask this question, right? What then should we say that the law is sin? Because based on that reasoning, um, that it's through the law that we're in relation to sin and we have to be put to death to the law in order to now belong to Christ and live in him. Um, but Skylar, what's his response to that question? Certainly not. (laughs) 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 I just love how emphatic. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I love how emphatic Paul's responses are, (laughs) you know, and I don't think in, uh, you know, whatever language he's writing in, I've heard people say exclamation marks didn't exist, but whatever, uh, you know, literary device he's using, obviously he's driving the point home so much so that. Uh, the translators were able to put our modern day equivalent of an exclamation mark there. And he's really wants you to know, because sometimes this does happen where we're like, okay, I'm under grace. Therefore the law is horrible. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, let's, let's pump the brakes. Let's be grateful for grace. Uh, you know, that brought us into right relationship with God, but not forget that the law was given by God and was a good and holy and righteous thing to begin with. Right. Right. Uh, and so he begins to explain why it is that this is not the case, right? And he says, on the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law, 
And he gives an example and he says, I would not know what it was to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And he mm -hmm. didn't, but it was then that sin seized an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart mm -hmm. from the law, sin is dead. Explain that, bro. First explain how it is that sin is using the law to bring about sin and then what that statement means. Apart from the law, sin is dead. Yeah, I mean, just the simplest analogy would be the whole forbidden fruit thing. You know, it's like as yeah. soon as, you know, you're told that you can't have something, we see this especially with little kids. I don't know if you've ever uh, had like a niece or nephew and they pick up the vase or, you know, the glass <laughs> jar of candy and they yeah. almost lock eye contact and they're like, I know I shouldn't do this. and But once they have your attention, it's like, boop. And they drop the thing. And, you know, as silly as that sounds, I think that that's what our sin nature uses the law to do. And, you know, we were talking before we hopped on to record. A lot of times, you know, you can draw a line back to the original sin in the garden where Satan wanted to awaken curiosity in Adam and Eve and yeah. make them believe that God was withholding something from them. So the original sin was really related to, you know, the intent and the nature of God. So yeah. if you think that uh, sin is what's best for your life, then you're going to think that God is withholding something by trying to keep you from having something that would cause you enjoyment. But if, again, it kind of goes back to if you have a high and a right view of who God is, um, then you realize that the law is good, that the boundaries he's put in place are healthy and fruitful and uh, for your protection and uh, for your health and well-being. and uh, But again, it's that rebellious sin nature uh, provoking curiosity in us that wants to reach for that which is forbidden and it yeah. causes death in the process. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, again, and then he makes a statement, right? And he says, for apart from the law, sin is dead, right? And so as Scott was explaining, you know, looking at different examples that we see and even going back, to look at, um, you know, at the beginning with Adam and Eve, you know, the the way in which that sin seizes an opportunity, as he states here, through the law to create sin in us, is that it's it's leveraging our rebellious heart, right? Like it mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. is our it is it is on us, right? Like this is not mm -hmm. anyway taking away responsibility from us and saying, you know, oh, in some way, well, sin is it has some sort of upper hand. Like no, like this is all this is all waging on the fact that we as humans have rebellious hearts, and so he makes a statement. Apart from the law, sin is dead, right? Sin, as definition, is rebellion against God or disobeying God, mm -hmm. right? And so without mm -hmm. a command from god there is no sin right we saw that with adam and eve right mm -hmm. the, it was the thing that created the sin was the fact that there was something to rebel against and mm -hmm. the heart of man is was set on rebellion right mm -hmm. um so that's why we see that playing out right it's good <laughs> man let's go ahead and jump in verse 13 where it says did that which is good then become death to me by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might be utterly sinful. This really makes me hate sin. It's working destruction uh, yeah. in our lives from every angle and from every direction. And uh, you just, again, that last statement, you see sin for what it truly is utterly sinful <laughs> yeah right and so i think that he's playing off of here in verse 11 he makes a statement 
for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me, right? So then he, he, he almost has to, Paul almost seems to have to justify the law again, right? Verse 12, he makes a statement, the law is holy, the command is holy, it's just, it's good. Then in verse 13, therefore, did what is good become death to me? No, in no way. On the contrary, sin in order to be recognized as such. I mean, I, I found that so interesting. Like, hmm. in order to be recognized as sin, sin produced death in me through what is good. And then he says that sin might become sinful beyond measure. It's like it's like sin up its level of disgusting evilness in the way that it used something that was good in order to produce death. Um, so he essentially, I mean, he's further clearing the law from any um, sort of ill content or backlash, right? In the hmm. way they're making these arguments. Um, and he's saying, no, it was, it was all sin, and sin went to a greater level of evil and destruction in order to use, or by using the law um, and producing death in us. Yeah, and I think if we look at, so obviously here we're talking about moral laws, but yeah. I think the, the same concept can be used in natural laws. So I always go back just because it's one that we're most familiar with and the effects of it can be the most obviously seen. Gravity. Let's just say that, yeah. you know, gravity is a law. The same God who designed the moral law and I believe made the universe a moral universe uh, with consequences for right, wrong, um, also set in place natural laws that allows our uh, mathematics to be possible, that allows physics to be possible. You know, Lucas, you're going to school for engineering. Like the natural laws allow that to be studyable, repeatable. Um, yeah. You know, God governs the universe through these natural laws that he's put in place. Yeah. And so gravity, if if something in me questions, you know, what's going to happen if I jump off of a two-story building, mm. well, <laughs> my rebellious nature to want to push against the natural law is going to break me. I'm probably going to walk, you know, stum stumble away with a broken leg after that incident. Sure. And the same thing happens when we say, oh, no, I, I can get away with this. Um, we break ourselves against God's moral law when we use it to rebel. Um yeah. And I think that that's what he's really getting after here. No, oh, 100%. Um, so, man, post setup of the just true evil of what sin is um, and the way in which the law and sin are sort of in contention against each other, he then enters into um, this sort of, I think, almost personal reflection slash thoughts of all believers maybe <laughs> i don't know um but picking up verse 14 hmm. he says for we know that the law is spiritual but i am of the flesh sold sold as a slave to sin for i did not understand what i'm doing because i do not practice what i want to do but what i hate now if i do what i do not want to do i agree with the law that it is good so now i'm no longer the one that doing it but it is sin living in me for i know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it for. I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Even if I do what I want to, or even if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me for in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin and the parts of my body. 
What a wretched man am I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Well, I just want to say that everyone has experienced this, and if you can't relate to this tension, you're probably an alien. So I'm going <laughs> to start with that. You know, we can dive more into this, but that we can just say the war is real. I mean, all yeah. of us have faced that tension before. And I would even say uh, the person you would consider not religious at all. What I equate this entire uh, section to be is like everyone's tried to be better before. Everyone's tried some type of self-improvement program and failed miserably and recognized that they were unable, according to their own best efforts, to become what I believe God fully intended them to be outside of the enablement, the empowerment of his spirit at work within them. Yeah, yeah. And then so we see here, like, just this war waging, essentially, and what he says, uh, if I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but what I hate to do. Hmm. Uh, he says, if I, do, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law, that is good. For I know that mm-hmm. nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. The desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it, right? So we have this idea mm. that, like, I think that we can just join with Paul, right? So I'm just going to keep using the word we instead of Paul's name, right? Yep, it's yep. like Paul Paul knows, or sorry, I just said I was going to use we. <laughs> we, know, we know what is right, right? Like, we know the law, and we know what is the right thing we do. We know how to follow God. And, and I think even as believers, we desire to do so. And we have a heart set on doing it. But the big gap is found in the fact that we don't have the ability to do it. And I think mm. that's where Paul lands here, right? In verse 18, he ends by saying, For the desire to do what is good is in me, but there is no ability to do it. Hmm. Uh, and man, I think that, and I don't want to go too far ahead yet because I don't yeah. think we're done flushing this out, but I think that's the setup for then what follows as he goes into verse 8 uh, and talks away about the way in which the Spirit works in us, right? Hmm. Uh, but I think that's the real like crux of this is that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we know we know what good is, we know what is right, we desire to do it, yet we do not because we do not have the ability to. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm just looking at verse 16 where it says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And I was just reading something the other day by this author who had said that, uh, I think he called it like a sin hangover. And basically he was describing that this sense of regret or remorse or just kind of that, ugh, like after you've done what you know to be wrong. And he went on to describe that there's no such thing as, and I don't think this is the exact language he used, but like a righteousness hangover. Like you never do the right thing. And then the next day you're like, oh man, I'm so upset with myself for having done the right thing. And even in our experience of our uh, self kind of evaluation after doing right or wrong, we confirm that God's law is good. And we confirm that there's something wrong with us, (laughs) you know, when we act you know, not according to his ways, not according to his law. And I would say that everyone's had that experience and their conscience would confirm it, um, that his way is right and is true, but there's something deep inside of us that's broken that really needs help in that process. Yes, right. And so I think I just want to point out this statement before going into another. 
Mm-hmm. In verse 14, he says, the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I think that he's making a dissension here, right? And as he just called the law holy, just, and good, he's mm-hmm. now saying that it is a spiritual thing, while I, the one who is capable of sin, am of the flesh. Now, mm-hmm. I think it's important that he says of the flesh here, mm-hmm. um, because he's not identifying with flesh does that make sense he's saying that it's something that like he is of as if someone is of the line of adam right like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and being a man so we are of the flesh but and i say that because i think it's important right he says in verse 20 he says now if i do what i do not want i am no longer the one that does it but it is the sin that lives in me okay this is a wild statement i think on the forefront but i think it's something that we really have to understand because like this is not what this statement is not a cop-out on the responsibility that one right has that's so important yeah owning his own sin mm-hmm. right this and and, it, and this statement runs parallel with jesus's command for us to cut off the flesh that would make us sin right so it's mm-hmm. not that we're saying well this thing is is living in me it's it's not me doing it it's something else right mm-hmm. um but instead, what I think he's saying is that, that we need to look at this and look at our, our sin in our flesh and say, this is not me. Like, this is not who I am, as in this is not the thing that identifies me, right? And so I think that Paul is, is making this claim and saying that, you know, in every fiber of his being, he knows that he's been crucified with Christ, freed from bondage, resurrected with Christ into a new life and made into a new man in him. And so then he makes a proclamation and saying, this is not I, it, this is not my identity, but it's something else within me. It's this thing waging war uh, within me. Hmm. Yeah. And I think just as you were reading that verse, I'm picturing, uh, let's make this immensely practical that yeah. you've just, you know, stolen a car, you're caught on camera and you go before the judge and you're like, whoa, 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 don't haul me off to jail. And I'm not paying a fine because it wasn't me. It was sin. And it's like, oh yeah, you're right. I forgot. And yeah. he's like, well, let's haul off sin. And it's like, who, you, you know what I mean? Like the logic yeah. breaks down pretty quick to say that's like, oh, yeah. and as silly as that sounds, sometimes we can over-spiritualize things to make it sound like the two are so disconnected. But yeah. I think it rather, you know, to your point, Lucas, shows us what we need to go to war against is our sin right. nature. Um, and is not to physically hate our bodies. It's not to... Uh, blame something other than we still have to like you said i think the word was responsibility that used we still take responsibility for these things but we know uh what fight we're in we know that what we're waging war against and we're going to try to which we're about to see in you know the beginning of chapter eight the way to victory is through christ and through the new way of life in the spirit and uh so i think that'd probably be a good point unless you've got anything to add to jump into chapter eight uh well i do think i just want to round us off right Uh, and again, I just want to further lay out, right. What's happening here. Right. So he says, Mm -hmm. uh, in my inner self, I delight in God's law. I delight in God's way, but I see something else working out in the parts of my body. This thing, like we keep saying, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner Mm -hmm. to the law of sin, my parts. Then he makes a statement in which I think we should all unify with and say, what a wretched man I am who will mm-hmm. rescue me from this body of mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. And then let's just throw our hands in praise for a second and yes, say, thank yes. you to God yes. through Jesus Christ, our Lord, yes. who has saved us. Yes. Uh,
So then I yes. think we can enter into Romans 8. <laughs> Amen. I'm, so, I'm glad you went back and read that. And I think that this is another one of those kind of uh, triumphant statements. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. I mean, just together, those two statements, 725, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord, and 8-1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Uh, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Hmm. So, uh, man, uh, we've talked about this before, but it's like, you know, I think we get these chapter breaks uh, mm -hmm. and it really breaks up like Paul's line of thinking. Exactly. Um, and so, man, I, I really think that this is where Paul begins to just like delve out the logical reality of this tension that we live mm. in as believers um and he's again making this separation between the spirit and the flesh right mm -hmm. so he mm -hmm. says therefore so after making all these statements therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so therefore because of what god has done through jesus christ our lord there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Um, man, this might be a simple question to ask, but I just mm -hmm. want it to be stated. What does it mean? What does it look like that there be no condemnation for us as believers or for us as people? Man. Well, I mean, it's to be completely acquitted. You know, it's to have uh, no record of charges, no record of blame or accusation against you, and to know that that's been completely removed. Again, as we've been, you know, over the last eight or nine episodes discussing, it's completely from beginning to end because of the finished work of Jesus mm. and owes nothing to our own effort. And I think that we can see even from the tension we see in Romans 7, uh, our flesh was incapable of accomplishing even what our good intentions yeah. desired to do. And mm. therefore, Christ had to do it for us. Yeah. And uh, it's both something that was secured for us, but it's also something that he's going to help us walk out in the daily, which is what we're going to kind of dive into yeah. in, in chapter eight and other places in the Bible. This is really something to pray and press into is that he's able to preserve us. It talks about he's able to preserve us mm -hmm. blameless until the last day. Yeah, and so the same Christ who saved you can also sustain you. And that comes through abiding in him through living life in the spirit, which we're about to learn about. Um, but I think it's both. It's no condemnation in Christ. It's him preserving us blameless. It's his removing the record of sin as far as the East is from the West. Two yeah. points that will absolutely never meet. Yeah, so good. Uh, and so it's it's on the basis of what Christ has done, right? Like you're saying that, that we now have no condemnation. And he makes a statement, because of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death and he says what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh god did um and i think he's essentially saying here like the law was brought to its fullness in christ as yes. christ being the only one who could fulfill the law and so make us and so like atone for our sins yeah um and make us righteous by himself right so there's this yeah. replacement yeah. of the law of sin and death with the law of the spirit of life in christ 
And, it, and he says, right, because we, we are people who, who could not work out our own salvation. We're people who could not atone for our own sins. Uh, and so Christ, God, God replaced or he did for us what we could not do uh, for ourselves because we were too weak. Hmm. Yeah, and I want to, so verses 2 and verses 3, um, I don't know if it's perfectly safe to do this, but sometimes we hear law and we immediately think commandments, right? So when he's talking about from uh the law of sin and death. I don't think that a, an adequate replacement for law would be the commandments of sin and death. I think that, again, going back to what the illustration I used before of natural law, is that there's a principle. It's almost like a formula. If you put in uh, A, you get at output B, you know, whatever. Um, so when you sin, it results in death, right? So the law yeah, of sin and death right. is that sin perpetuates death. He's saying yeah. when you are living by the Spirit, um, it's not some new list of commandments that he's talking about in the word law right. here. But when you right. live under the principle, under the guidance, under the governance of the spirit, it brings life. So that's one way I think that we can read verse two and have better understanding of that. Yeah. And then verse three, let's look at this through the lens of the second half of chapter seven that we just read. Why was the law powerless, was weakened by the flesh? It's That's the exact same tension he was just talking about, where I know yeah. what I wanted to do. I know what the law right. says I should do. I'm unable to do it. My flesh, my sinful nature can't seem to live up to this requirement. So therefore, the law was powerless, not again because the law was bad, but because of this tension in me. I even want to do it, and yet I can't you know, seem to work it out in myself. So God took it upon himself to fulfill the law. Like you said, Luke, that word fulfill the law by sending Jesus as our atoning sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, and in doing so, this is I think that this is like poetic justice. You know, in that last chapter, we talked about how much we hate sin because sin became utterly sinful by using what God intended for good uh, yeah. to actually expose its own wickedness. Well, God took the law and actually used it co to condemn sin uh, yeah. in the flesh. And I just think that that's yeah. like th this beautiful poetic justice that God yeah. turned sin's attempt to pervert the law uh, basically into the last word on sin. Yep. Yep. And. He did so by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, right? Right, right. And this was, this was unto what goal? It was unto the goal that the law's requirement would mm. be fulfilled in mm. us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And Shiloh, you just said this, and I, mm. and I appreciate you mm. um, making a, a or just describing what this law of the spirit is versus the law of sin and death. Um, but what is this? righteous or the law's requirement right what is this righteous requirement of the law that would be fulfilled by those who not walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit hmm. ask that question maybe a different way just so i can make sure way. i fully understand yeah yeah let me hear that question <laughs> way. <laughs> uh, so it says in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit, I guess I'm wanting to know what is the law's requirement? Hmm. Well, if we're talking about, you know, the law, the law, we've, we've said from the beginning, it's, it's perfection. The standard is Christ himself, which all of us fell short of. Yeah. Right. So, uh, now that is fully met in us because of the indwelling spirit, because of Christ's finished work inside of us. Um, which again, we're not walking according to the flesh, according to our own effort, but according to the spirit who's at work within us is the way that I would read that. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, bro, you good to move on through to verse 5 through 8? Let's do it. All right, so verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set of the Spirit is life and peace. The mind set of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Hmm. So on the heels of him making the statement that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who walk, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I think he then sort of gives an explanation for what it looks like or what it really means to live or walk according to one of those things. Right. So or at least he gives he gives, uh, you know, condemnation or, or consequences for what happens between those two but i think regardless he's setting up or, or flushing out this idea that there are these two different realities right there's mm. reality in which we walk in the flesh and i and here he says which is death right or we're mm. walking in the spirit we're made alive in the spirit uh which i think is a lot of what he was talking about in romans 7. yes yeah and i think that now we see that there before where there was a lack of agreement between his lifestyle and what he desired to do. We now see that he's walking in this type of agreement between his yeah. mind and, you know, his lifestyle with what the spirit desires. And you can picture anything in your life that you're moving towards. If you have authentic desire for something and there's intentionality, there's movement towards that thing, there's effort. And I think that he's saying, you know, if we're living according to the spirit, then we're naturally going to move towards the things that are pleasing to God, the things that the spirit desires and, you know, that could be the fruit of the spirit, you know, God's will in the earth. Um, but because literally the flesh is moving in the opposite direction, mm -hmm. it can't please God. Um, right. So I think we need to make sure that we're moving in the right direction. We need to ask, do I have within me the desires of the spirit? Um, right. And you just start to think through, you know, what, it, what is it that the flesh desires and what is it that the spirit desires? Yep. And we want to willfully fix our attention on those things and align our lifestyle with the things that the spirit desires. And obviously we do that with God's help, with God's enablement. And I believe yeah. the more time we spend with him, uh, the more we learn to love him and to submit ourselves to him, the more the spirit will actually produce those desires within us. Yep. Yep. And so I think this, this little passage actually helps in a lot of ways, at least for me to mm -hmm. sort of understand better, like what verse 25 chapter seven says, right. Mm -hmm. Which says my mind, in my mind, I'm myself serving the law of God with my flesh, the law of sin. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then he presents this polarizing idea in which there is a, a mind who is bent towards sin, right? Which is essentially going, mm -hmm. right? You're saying there are two opposite directions, right? So let's say mm -hmm. right and left, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the mindset on the flesh is moving towards the left, while the mindset on the spirit is moving toward the right, right? So if we can just bring mm -hmm. it to practical application, right? Essentially what he's saying, I think in verse 25 and then here, is that believers' minds are set on the Spirit. And so desire the Spirit and desire the law of God, want to follow Him, and are moving towards the right, right? Mm -hmm. But they still, like, the like they're still of the flesh, right? Like, they're, like mm -hmm. the flesh is still there, and so, like, sin may still be present, right? Whereas mm -hmm. there is the man who is set with his mind on the things of the flesh, who desires them, who wants them, who follows after them. And so he is moving in the complete opposite direction. He is hostile to God 
does not submit to God's law and is unable to do so because he has not been reborn in order mm-hmm, to have a mm-hmm. spirit that is alive and able to set one's mind on to the spirit, the spirit of God. Yes, yes, it's good. Well, let's go ahead and jump into uh, verse nine. So it says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, praise God. Uh, but you are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Mm, so good. So, and I, and I love, like you even said, praise mm. God, after saying it, like, yeah, yeah. here is, you know, here is the declaration mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. the life of the saint, mm-hmm. is that we are not in the flesh, but we mm-hmm. are in the Spirit, right? And again, mm-hmm. contrasting these small words, right? But he's like, at the top, in, in verse 14, chapter 7, he mm-hmm. says, I am of the flesh. Now here he says, but I'm not in the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. I am in mm-hmm. the spirit. You as believers mm-hmm. are in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not mm-hmm. have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Um, man, uh, this might be too complicated a question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you how do we answer. know? Yep. <laughs> how do we know? How do we know that the Spirit of God lives in us? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, Well, I would say I look at, you know, the evidence of someone's natural life. I think there will be parallels in their spiritual life. So I think about this is easy for me uh, to conceptualize because I have a six-month-year-old. Yeah. Six-month-year-old. Courtney always makes fun of that. Year-old. Six month old, <laughs> nine year old. I don't usually refer to people only in terms of months, so it's hard to yeah. switch your mind around. Six month old at home, and there were things that nobody had to teach him to do when he came home. Yeah. Nobody had to teach him to cry out when he was hungry. Yep. You know, nobody had to uh, really teach him how to reach out for affection, and you know, how to be how, share connection with his mother and I. Right. And I think about there's certain level of things that are produced in us. Uh, just as a, a natural part of the Spirit of God taking residence inside of us. One of those things is that there's going to be a newfound conviction for sin. Yep. The old things you once did, you're not going to be as comfortable doing. Uh, I believe that an appetite for God, for a desire for His presence to spend time with Him, a hunger for His Word, uh, that these things are going to grow and mature. And again, I go back to the natural illustration is that it starts with milk. You know, when Ezra came home from the hospital, we couldn't immediately feed him. Uh, even more solid baby foods like carrots or peas uh, or, you know, baby cereal. But now at four, five, six months, he's able to start slowly introducing those things into his life. So this is not like an instant, immediate. Uh, in some people's lives, it can be a faster trajectory. Um, yeah. Obviously, we see that Paul had a pretty dramatic uh, yeah. conversion. But some people, it's, they spend more time on milk. But there is a change. There is a newfound spiritual hunger. There is a changing appetite. There is a newfound conviction that should come with the conversion. And I'm not sure that I've laid out all of the things that will tell you for sure that somebody's sure. been born with you. I think peace with God, you know, as we've talked about uh, in past episodes, um, 
assurance of salvation. Some of these things can go with that. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's going to be newfound desires, and at least that will put it in the context of the chapter we're reading about. We talked about the yeah, desires sure. of the Spirit. There's going to be newfound desires and a newfound disdain for the things that are opposite of the desires of the things that are healthy for you. Yeah, no, that's really good, bro. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to say here. Yeah. Um, how was I going to word this? So basically, I think one picture that will help us is as we're talking about life, you know, according to the spirit or according to the flesh. And, you know, Lucas and I were trying to really get clarity on this before we hit record is the sense of these kind of being ongoing struggles, you know, because I think if you think that this is something that was settled, absolutely, then you're going to be shocked when all of a sudden there's still warfare and you still have struggles and things that you're trying to overcome. And I think that a simple picture is, uh, who's in the driver's seat or who's dragging who, you know, you don't want your body dragging your spirit around. And, you know, I used earlier the term animalistic desires. You don't just want to do whatever seems impulsive, whatever seems instinctive, whatever seems like just a good idea in the moment. You want to have that level of spirit, uh, discernment, the ability to say no restraint, the Mm -hmm. fruit of the spirit. You know, it's, I think about sometimes when I just lash out in a moment, we've all had these moments, you're in traffic or someone's really frustrating you, you've just, they pushed all the wrong buttons. We Mm -hmm. know what it means. If you're in Christ, you know what it means to put the flesh in the driver's seat and you Mm -hmm. respond as you would have before Christ. You know, you get in that angry type of fleshly place or you're in a place of lust or you're in a place of greed. And you just know in that moment that you're letting the flesh drag you around and you've got to get the flesh out of the driver's seat. And I think that vice versa, there's been times where, man, I had to bite my tongue and I really wanted to say something. I wanted to give a quip. I want to say something back. But the spirit kind of had governed it, just had governance over me. And it was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose to respond in yeah. meekness. And I'm going to choose to go low or to humble myself or to apologize to somebody before I even wanted to. And that's where we allow, we partner with what the spirit's producing in us and allow him to basically occupy the driver's seat. And the spirit begins uh, to make the body subject to its desires versus being dragged around uh, by those fleshly desires. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, everything, or at least the things that we've been talking about in the past two chapters, like really comes together and into fruition in mm-hmm. the logic that he explains, especially in like verses 11 to 13, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and what you're saying, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, right? So back in, Chapter Mm -hmm. 6, we talked about being unified with Christ in his death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. And now we have this idea of having the Spirit of Christ in us, right? And so he says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will Mm -hmm. also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. And then he says, so then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live to the flesh, Mm -hmm. you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right, so here we go back to the, the illustration that Paul gave in Romans 6, in which he was saying that, um, you know, we were enslaved to sin in our former selves, that we were bound by it to do its will and its desires to obey it. But we have been set free from that in our unification with Christ's death and our resurrection with him into a newness of life, in which now we have the spirit of Christ in us and by it we can do what paul says here again back in chapter 7 verse 
18, the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. Now there is this ability by the power of the spirit in us to put to death hmm. the deeds of the body so that we might live. Hmm. Amen. Man, and I just want to say, because we get ready to close, that yeah. word obligation where he says, uh, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. Another way to view the word obligation is something you have to. And basically he's saying, you don't have to, you know, like, yeah. which is such good news. You no longer have to uh, do what the flesh is telling you you have to do. And it's like you, which is just another way of saying you've been set free. You've been yeah. set free from that law of sin and death and you're now set free to uh pursue righteousness to pursue god to live a life that pleases him uh to go back to the language we used before that doesn't leave you with a sin hangover the next day where there's that sense of remorse and regret and feeling like you're living in a contradiction god has given us victory over that and the antidote is life in the spirit where we let the spirit sit in the driver's seat of our life and we learn to yield i think the real language here is yield and surrender as we yield ourselves to the governance of the spirit, and again, it's a joyful yielding, it's a willful submission, uh, we find that the fruit is right living, is uh, good deeds, is peace, is joy, it's love. That's how the fruit gets produced, as we yield to the spirit uh, and put to death the deeds of the body. But as you've already said, Lucas, as we've mentioned before, this is an ongoing process. Uh, you were born again in a moment, but you cultivate the new nature over a lifetime until the day that it's uh, completed when we see him perfectly as he is yeah yeah so good man i i am as you as you said at the beginning of this episode uh man romans 8 is one of my favorites as well mm -hmm. um and man what beautiful realities were laid out here i'm excited to get into what we're going to get into in the next episode as we continue to talk through as i kind of hit on um just this identity that we now have in being mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. made new in christ um, having a new identity in Him. And we praise mm -hmm. the Lord for putting His Spirit within us, uh, for changing us and, and for or freeing us from sin, that we are no longer bound and obligated to do it, but that we now surrender and submit our lives to Him uh, and follow Him in all Amen. our ways. God, I appreciate you, brother. Uh, appreciate thanks so much, you, everyone, man. for listening here. And uh, yeah, we love y'all. Grace and peace.